Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. Welcome to this uh, podcast of Authentic Leadership and today I'm sitting with the amazing Sandra Sully who I just asked how I'd like to, she'd like to be introduced and I was going to introduce her as the icon of Australian journalism and media and she said you could just go with a crazy woman I ran into. So, <laughs> so on that you can go either way, Sandra, welcome. Thank you for having me. So my podcast is around authentic leadership and values and keeping it real. What's your definition of authenticity, do you think? And I guess in relation to how you present yourself on TV. I think for me it's about being true to myself. Um, I learned early on as much as you admire lots of people in the industry, you really can't be anyone other than yourself and the trick is to be the best you that you can be. Mm -hmm. So you can work out what other people do well and study it and understand it and then try and learn from that. But you really can only be yourself. Has that been always? Because I, I think one of the uh, one of the benefits, one of the very few benefits of getting older is this wisdom to fully step into yourself. Um, in your early days, were, like, did you try with that? Did you do things that you thought, oh, what was I doing? Oh, of course, you know, let alone with hair, let's not go there. Um, we're in a visual medium, so I, I learned early on people do see you before they hear you. And I think for a long time I role-played that person I thought I should be. Uh, and then once you build your own confidence uh, and feel authentic in the space, then you start to feel your own skin and own your own space, find your voice. I said a lot of people, uh, I mentor some uh, executive assistants who really struggle in the PA space because they're considered the assistant and they don't have a voice and yet they have the ear of the CEO. They know what's going on in the company and yet um, they're the keeper of all secrets. So they have an enormous responsibility with what they do and a lot of people in their companies, you know, sidle up to them to get information and they do need to be very mindful of, of what they do um, and I encourage them to find their voice, that they're actually privileged in their position because they're given a window into a boardroom as well as a CEO's thinking and the pressures that the CEO's under. Um, and, and for me, I think... Along the way, it was about finding my voice and owning it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt like I started into journalism a little bit later than everyone else. So role-playing was a safe way to mask my vulnerability, you know, in those early days particularly. Mm. I, I often say that the executive assistants are the most, some of the most powerful people in any company. They are. Um, when you first started, did you have um, female role models or even male role models? Not that you wanted to be like them, but you sort of thought, I'm going to take some of that good stuff that they do? I, I was really lucky early on. I mean, when I started before I, I worked in health and fitness before I became a journalist, but I, you know, used to grew up in a TV family. So I always admired Yarn Event from afar. And when I fell into journalism, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, Yana's like the queen, the perfume steamroller, as they called her, and I could never imagine emulating her. And 
nor did I ever really want to, but there were the standards that I, I wanted to try to achieve at some some point, somewhere along the way. Don't know if I ever have and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, but that was a standard where I said that's quality journalism, you know, that's quality broadcasting and as we've learnt, you know, the standard you walk by is the standard you accept. So if you keep knowing you can always learn and achieve and, and improve, um, you know, then you're always going to be better, better at what you're doing. I was very lucky early on. Lots of people took me under their wing and I really relished that opportunity and asked lots of questions and used the opportunity to get insights in the industry and and learn what I could from them. Mm -hmm. You know, I was very grateful. You talked about um, quality journalism and the standards you walk by. Can you think of a time when your, I guess, values were really challenged and you either took a stand or didn't take a stand and regret not taking a stand or...? Sure. Uh, One that always stands out for me was a death knock um, when I was not long in Sydney as a as a young journalist, and the chief of staff asked me to go out to this family. Um, One of the parents had backed over their child, and it was just horrendous. Anyway, um, I'd been asked to go out to the house, and we waited up the street, and I really didn't want to do it. And all the other networks were there. And to cut a long story short, I just felt incredibly uncomfortable and I knew the parents knew we were there. So I wanted to leave and I rang my chief of staff and said, look, you know, they're not going to come out and I'm not comfortable being here, passing them. And so we we kind of drove off. I said, I'm coming back. And he said, no, you're not coming back. I want you to stay there. You're going to stay up the street and all the other networks are there. Yes, yes, yes. And so I waited for a while and a couple of them peeled off and And then we moseyed sort of down the street a bit more just to sort of make sure what the competition was doing. And and then I saw one of the parents walk out of the house and look at it and I felt sick. Mm. And uh, I just said to the cameraman, we're going, we're going back, I'm not doing this. And I walked into the chief of staff's office when I got back and I said, "Um, that was disgusting. And he said, okay, you know, everyone's got to find their line. Um, but he said, you, your job was to go there and get what you could. I said, well, I wasn't going to knock on the door. Mm. I, just, I just couldn't. I can, um, as you're retelling that story, I can see the pain in your eyes just even recalling it. You were right when we spoke uh, yeah. on my podcast. You really live the story, don't you? Like I get emotional thinking about yeah. that moment and thinking oh, I could lose my job when I get back because I'm not going to deliver when I get back. And death knocks actually are really, they're not all bad. They can deliver um, an opportunity for families to speak about an experience, find a culprit, whatever it may be. Um, it's not always that scenario. Um uh, but I empathise with all journalists that have to do a death knock. It can be a really difficult experience. Mm. And we talk about, um, you know, the values, like sometimes you don't know a value is a value until you're challenged mm. um, and you were probably tossing up that time around the value of professionalism, doing what you were told and expected to do and the value of integrity or just doing the right thing and the right thing one out. So that that's a clear to me indication of, well, that's that's where the value is, um, which people could still argue that that's still very professional, but maybe your boss at the time didn't think so. Yeah, I don't, well, it's hard to remember exactly what he said when I got back, but um, 
I didn't really care. Yeah, it did. Doesn't you know, matter. I couldn't. I couldn't go back. I wasn't going back. Yeah. So that was it. You, now you said before you fell into journalism. So how did you fall into journalism? Uh, well, I was, as I mentioned, I was in health and fitness, and um, one of the ladies in the running class that I used to take uh, worked at a television station, and she was leaving the network to set up. Um, she was going to work for Expo in Brisbane, and she was going to set up all the entertainment, and I was you know, running gyms and 25 instructors, 125 classes a week. I'm kind of an organisational nerd. And uh, I thought that would be really interesting. And I was studying part-time at the time. And I asked her if I could get a job, you know, with her because I thought that would be really interesting. And she said, no, but there's a job going up at Channel 7 for a production assistant. And I said, I don't know anything about television. She said, no, but you need to be organised. You can do this in your sleep. And I went... Okay, uh, sure. She said, just go for the interview. And so the then rest, I switched to the rest, they say, is history. Yeah, yeah, I fell, I fell into it and um, just, yeah, discovered the magical world of journalism, you know, which I adore. As a female in journalism and TV, what's what's been the biggest changes you've seen over, you know, perhaps the last couple of decades or perhaps even over the last couple of years? I think I've noticed a lot of young women owning their space. Um, they can no longer be judged as harshly on appearance, look, shape, age, ethnicity, diversity. We're seeing more diverse people in our newsrooms, which is a good thing. Um, I mean, I'm a raging feminist and uh, I think the next big battleground is ageism, not just because I'm getting older, um, but there's a lot of wisdom around and, and what a waste to let that fall by the wayside. So um, journalism will always have challenges. Um, that's true globally, but uh, we're continuing to confront those challenges um, and get through it, I think. You know, I think people still value storytelling and quality journalism. They're learning they have to pay for good journalism. I work in the broadcast medium and I know in Australia we have the best free-to-air in the world and that includes our national broadcasters, both both the ABC and SBS. And when you travel the world, you realise that they don't have that available to them and it is a real gift. Mm. It really is. So uh, I'm really proud of what we do in Australia and how we do it. Um, it doesn't mean it won't constantly be challenged and we'll have to find our way through that. But I think quality journalism and good storytelling's at the heart of it all. What do you love most about your job? Like what's a good day when something's happened that you love most about it? Getting the story right, making the deadline. And and my job really is I'm that final fulfilment of everyone's hard work. So, you know, I work Journalism is the ultimate team game. I work in a newsroom where, you know, they're all professionals. They're all out there gathering the stories. And people say, do you write every intro? Well, I simply can't write every intro, but I see them all. 99% of the time I see them before I read them. Um, sometimes you're, you're given stuff you don't get a chance to pre-read. But w- I'm surrounded by professionals who are out news gathering all day and then my job is to is really the icing on the cake to deliver that with you know, with substance and integrity and authenticity and with the right tone, um, which is, you know, the fulfilment of all their labours all day. Mm. So I love the fact that we are the ultimate team game. And, you know, when you, when 
at six o'clock when the bulletin's done, I can, I know every day if I've done a good job. It's not just whether I've made mistakes, it's whether I've delivered the story with the right tone and integrity and justified my colleagues' hard work. What's the biggest challenge, do you think, of your job or something you don't like about it? The same thing every day. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not the same thing because it's never the same. I don't really look for frustrations. I mean, I'm a glass half full type of person and I don't focus on the negatives in life. I really love what I do. Um, I may not be doing it forever. Uh, I know change is a constant, so I try to prepare myself for change all the time. Uh, But, you know, every day when I swipe my card to get in the building and the door clicks, I think, yay, another day. You know, and I don't take it for granted. Mm. I never take it for granted. But there's been some challenges. I mean, I was a victim of pretty heavy bullying for a long time, nearly a decade, and that challenged me um, in a massive way. And I know you're all about leadership and I, at the time, and those management teams have long gone, and yet those managers I'm still friends with. But at the time, I don't think they demonstrated good leadership and I was so vulnerable and so emotional and just gobsmacked at what I was being forced to deal with, that I wanted them to show some leadership and they were really at the conundrum of understanding because bullying wasn't what, it wasn't understood the way it is today. I didn't even know I was being bullied. I just knew I was being treated horrendously and because it was by another woman, it was encapsulated as secret women's business, just nasty women, you know, and A, I'm not, I'm not nasty and I wouldn't accept that. So the challenge for me in it was to find my values in the space and be certain that I uh, was doing the right thing and then trying to convince them and show them that, you know, the treatment was was poor. Mm. Um, the trick for them in a leadership role was understanding how manipulative colleagues, particularly some women, can be to other women and they will do it in a secretive stealth-like manner. And when you're in a position like I am, which is, you know, a horrible label they call in this game called talent, you will always be dismissed as difficult before they even get a chance to hear your version of events. Mm. Um, So part of the podcast I like to talk about what you do when you're not at work. So what what do you do when you're not at work? What do you love doing when you're not in in, in the office? Well, I try to keep fit and healthy. That's always been a personal kind of passion, although I'm not a saint, far from it. Um, I love TV, love movies, good friends, family, love the beach, glass of wine, you know. (laughs) Just the standard. Just the standard, you know. I'm very, very normal. But I also try to quarantine time for me that I can find a safe place to be. And it's not that I role play and I'm someone else when I'm on television. It's not that, but people always want a piece of you. So I've learned that you need to mark your space and you need to show people where the picket fence is. So, you know, inside that picket fence is a really sacred space for me and I let in my trusted confidence. And, you know, in my job, I've got a a lot of views about a lot of things, but I can't always talk about them because I should be impartial, Mm. you know. I mean, I can stand up for the integrity of issues. I mean, be it the Banking Royal Commission, I can be as alarmed and outraged as everyone else. But there's there's kind of a general space that you can wallow in, um, but your personal views aren't really a space that you really 
should go to because I can't sit and be in people's lounge rooms every night when they know I have a view that might be about whatever it may be. Mm. You know, so it's, it's, it's walking that fine line all the time. Yeah, is that, I mean, imagine, you know, if you got like the normal, you got friends over for dinner and the views are being shared, do you feel like you can't fully share your views because of that? Well, no, in the friend space. The friend space. I'm as blunt good. as a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that, you know. Yeah. You talk a lot about good leadership, about people being authentic. And, you know, I celebrate 30 years at 10 in January. And well done. I've. Thank you. Yeah, I found myself in more of a leadership role in the newsroom and I've had to evaluate what that means and I've, I've realised that, you know, you do, you do need to be mindful of how other people see you and that it is important to display the values that you care and want to share. So I'm always mindful that it's important um, not just to do the right thing but be the right person. You know, I want to demonstrate to other young journalists um, that the world is full of great opportunities, but it's how you conduct yourself that will determine, um, I think, your longevity. And one of the biggest things I always tell young journalists, and the biggest, it wasn't a lesson, as you know, the values my family gave me, is that manners are free, but they will take you a long way. That's a that's a great, great bit of advice, isn't it? Um it's simple. It's simple, but it's it's simple, but very few people, well, not a lot of people, do it. Yeah, yeah. It's a in my work sometimes I just you know I'll be with someone and I'll send a, an email or a, even a card to say thank you, and it was like the response you get was like oh my god thank you so much for saying thank you. It's just like <laughs> yeah, I often get you know people will, will come up. Do you mind if we get a picture? No, no, no. You know and. You must get that all the time. Well, actually, no, I don't. Oh, it must be such a drag. No, it isn't. Because you know what? When people don't ask, you know it's up. Mm. Game over. Yeah. And if you don't enjoy the ride, get off the train. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And it's not that I adore the adulation. It's because I don't see it as that. People are just being nice, mm. you know, and, and it's a recognition of the privilege that you've been given to be in their lounge rooms and be a part of their life and really you're a constant and I've been a constant for a lot of people and I find that a real compliment. You know, it doesn't stroke an ego. We've all got ego but I think it's really important to put it in the right box and so I love what I do but I don't get off on it. Yeah. You know, it's a privilege to do what I do and it's a privilege to do it. I try to do it as well as I can. I never think I'm great. I always think, you know, I'm a work in progress. But we all are, I think, in life, aren't we? We You know, being better sisters, Mm. daughters, husbands, wives, mother-in-laws, stepmoms, you know, it's all the challenges never-ending. But um, uh, that's half the joy. Mm. I I sometimes have people come up with and they've bought my book and they go, would you mind signing it? And I always go, of course I'd love to. And I go, never ever think an author should ever get sick of signing their books. And the fact that someone comes and asks you for it, it's like, yes, yes, I'm, I'm excited as you are. It's probably not relevant to what you do, but we have, you know, a lot of colleagues who I get on exceptionally well within the business, but their least favourite part of the day is hair and makeup. And I find that astonishing. It's my favourite part of the day. Really? Yeah. I'm in there for an hour, half an hour for hair, half an hour for makeup. And someone plays with their hair for half an hour every day. 
I don't know about you, but I'm like that puppy, you know, when my right leg starts moving and I think just a bit longer, just a bit longer. And then I also know, you know, without them, can you imagine? Mm. I can't I can't do it. Like you don't go to the dentist to get your hair cut. I can't do that. I focus on doing what I'm allegedly good at doing and I am grateful every day to get an hour of assistance to make me look arguably presentable. I mean, everyone's going to have a view about whether I look good, bad, ugly or indifferent and there's nothing I can do about that. But I'm A, grateful, but colleagues of mine and good friends of mine wince and carry on in the chair and they fidget and they hate it. And I think when it's all over, you're going to have to do it yourself, you know, and and heaven help the world when I leave home without any help. <laughs> it's it's not a good look. Uh, from what you've been saying, I I get I get the feeling you are uh, just grateful for what you're doing, and this uh, it could be all over one day. So why not just make the most of what you're doing and love what you're doing? Yeah, and I think for a lot of women, fifteen years ago, the opportunities weren't there. Um, but I know not just because of what I've done, but because what the sisterhood has done. Mm. We've railed against those challenges, um, you know, those misogynist types in the industry and we, our industry was notorious for it. Uh, and, you know, we've had a lot of cut through, we've had a lot of pushback and we've we've made a, a difference, you know. So I think there's lots of opportunities and hopefully I won't be judged. Um, you know, my time, when my time's up... Um, I want it to be as much as my decision as, as anyone else's, but look, it'll be in the lap of the gods. One of the things through journalism I used to always say to our news directors was um, we're in the perfect industry for permanent part-time work. <laughs> and uh, and I was that annoying person in the newsroom who just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and, and we got it because um, it just made sense. You know, good decisions just make sense, yeah. don't they? Cool, they do. Hey, I want to end on three random personal questions. So what is the favourite meal you love to cook, if in fact you do cook? I don't cook that much. No, I've got a good husband for that. But, um, oh, I'm a sucker for Italian, really. Yeah, you know. But uh, look, let's not focus on my cooking. That's not going to get us anywhere and it won't feed anyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. I asked someone and they went, my favourite meal to cook is whatever my husband cooks me. <laughs> Which is perhaps that should have been my answer. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, another one. You're going to be able to answer this, I think. Um, what's your favourite '80s song or artist? My favourite artist of all time is Van Morrison. Love Van Morrison and Bob Dylan and uh, Brown Eyed Girl. Oh, I love. Yeah, the Brown Eyed Girl is my favourite. Van Morrison. It song. is. There's something about the rhythm and the melody. I don't know what it is. I'm not a musician, so I never know the right terms. But I just love it. And, and stop looking at me knowing I've got brown was, eyes. It wasn't about that, Gabrielle. <laughs> I just love the song. But I love I love those, those two artists are my favourite. Excellent. Okay, final question. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Chase your dreams. And on that, Sandra Sully, we will leave it because you are not only chased your dreams, it sounds like you're living your dream. So thank you for being part of it. Thanks for having me. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.